Shalom, this is Shomer Man, and I'm coming at you with the Parsha GYS for Parsha Beha Alot Hamashiach, which uh, Toda to Chasis for the inspiration on the name, who he said uh, I inspired him, but you know, who's inspiring who here? Um, but anyway, uh, before things get any more out of hand, I just needed to go ahead and start recording. So. You're literally going to catch me in midrash uh, as we are droshing for the parsha. So, without further ado, let us go ahead and say the opening bracha. And before I do that, just to give you a heads up, I am working on and developing some titles and segments uh, for the parsha because I realize that if I try to do a gys, I get you some that. The tour portions end up being like six hours, and so uh, it all started with Naso because there was not so much to say, and um, the incredible Talmud like time clicked me and was all like, yeah, it's like nine hours on that parsha. So um, for all the Lapidim out there that need Jewish sources on the Torah portions, uh, there you go, and uh, Baruch Hashem. So uh, anyway, so I'm going to work on. As of now, breaking up the parasha get you some into little segments, which probably won't be so little, so I apologize. But uh, I'm going to keep the segments focused on particular sections of the parasha, so that that way, if I end up talking about something, it'll all be contained in its little space. So that's just a heads up to the listener. Not that you needed to know that, but I felt like sharing. So. Sharing is caring is what I'm told, so I care about you. All right, so, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamin, Venatan Lanu Et Torato, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen, Amen. Baruch Hashem. So, the parasha is such a an interesting and incredible syllable uh, arrangement here because there is beha alotka, beha alotecha, and now we have beha alot hamashiach. So I, I like that one. So I'm going to stick with that one. So, but if you look at the actual text. For where that appears, uh, Bami Bar chapter 8, uh, and it says literally in verse 2, say to him. So when it says, Ve'amarta elav beha aloteka, and it is when you light the lamps. So we already have this picture of when you look up the root of beha alotka, it is. Allah or Aliyah. Uh, Al is the word in Aliyah, Al, like ascend to Hashem. And I know that kind of sounds weird because of the uh, foreign deity of um, Islam, which has that kind of uh, connotation to it. But it's actually a Hebrew word and not even connected to that, uh, that even faith system. So, uh, it's kind of weird saying that, but Al or Aliyah is the root of Beha Alotka. 
And it's all about ascending. So if I start in the onkelos, which is always a good place to start. So shouts out to the Targum Onkelos, OG Onkelos here. All right, so I got a table full of sepharin that I'm trying to sephiro with. Okay, so we got scriptures. Hifil form of Beha'alotka is a metaphor, and it literally means when you cause to raise up. Okay, so in verses 2 and 3, Ankelos, Pseudo Yanatan, and Sadia explain it as light. The word that is also in Sifri and Sifri Zuta, bunch of sources here, just we're lighting it up, from which our Targumus drew material. Okay, so it is literally light, but it, it is also a metaphor. So it's like a little hip hop rhyme scheme going on right here. Where it's like, you say one thing, but it actually means something else. And so it's like a double entendre. Okay. And so uh, it's going, and it says, Rashi, who frequently prefers to take the Torah's metaphors literally, suggests that Beha'alotka means that the priest kindled the light until the flame rises by itself. Now... A lot of the studiers at Lapide have probably already come across that information, and you already know that. But for those who have not gotten the, that opportunity, this is the picture that we do and portray at Hanukkah. So, also in the Ankylos, this is what he says. He says, Nachmanides suggests that the Midrash is not referring to regular kindling of a menorah, but is alluding to the Hanukkah lights made possible by the victory of the Hasmoneans against, or which are descendants of Aharon. So this whole thing about temple service and who are the Kohanim, they're descendants of Aharon, and later we're going to see that they're also going to be descendants of Pinchas. And then obviously, ultimately over that we have Melchizedek. So it's it's good to know the order of things because during Mashiach's time walking the earth in the likeness of man, it, the Kohanim, it was not a pure lineage at that point. You know, the positions were being bought out by the Roman government. So it's important to know that a lot of the people who were active in temple service during that time were actually illegitimate. And... Um, you know, that's kind of a, a heavy thing to say because that means so much because, you know, there are sacrifices and things going on like that. And the Talmudim of Mashiach, they continue going to the temple. So, you know, there's validation. But um, just so we know that it wasn't all like there, but it was there, you know, because the fact that the Shekinah dwells with his people, you know, like. We get to bring that into the presence of Hashem, which the temple is only sacred and holy because of the Shekinah of Hashem. And we went over this last week, not on these drashas here, but um, Rabbi Griffin did such an incredible job talking about it, how, you know, one who buys tefillin boxes without the scrolls in them, what, or Sleekah, one who buys boxes that look like tefillin 
because they have no scroll in them they only have boxes you know and that was also extended to the ark that says that the ark was only the holy ark because it had the lukot in them and if it didn't have the lukot it's just a really really fancy heavy box notice that the box is heavy if the tablets are not in there but if the tablets are in the box then it's actually light and it carries you so not by spirit not or slika by spirit because it's not by might or not by power so you know there's that so for us to walk by the spirit you know and uphold the commandment of Hashem if we just walk by the spirit then the commandment of Hashem would be held up because that's where the spirit is you know because where the spirit is there is freedom and the Torah is called freedom because the engraving upon the tablet Herut is uh, freedom so Harut is to engrave Herut is freedom so the same letters make two different words we got another double entendre just wrapping all over the place here and so back to Hanukkah over here it says that um, these lights would be kindled forever even following the destruction of the temple and therefore constitute a greater honor because there's this whole midrash about how the 12 Nasi'im are bringing their their inauguration offerings that literally bind the heavens and the earth together you know because whatever you bind on earth is bound in Hashemite yeah anyway so um, Aaron didn't get an opportunity for Shevet Levi for the tribe of Levi and he was like feeling so downcast about it but then why all downcast my soul right Hashem is like no Aaron you need to know that as the Kohen your offering is going to be greater so really you know your offering is really important because it's going to go beyond when there is a temple and I thought about that and I was like so how does the light of the menorah shine even when there is not a temple you know and it's like oh yeah because you know we're kind of celebrating Hanukkah and oh yeah because we're kind of lighting the Shabbat lights every era Shabbat so if you're not lighting the Shabbat lights every Shabbat it's, it's about time to start doing that, you know. So get you some candles and get you some lighting going. And let the Shekinah fill your home for like 25 plus hours. And man, I'm telling you, the, if, if the whole world just did that alone, imagine the, the Shalom. You know, people always want to talk about, you know, God is love and we all need to be unified. What we all need to do is light some candles. That's what we all need to do. And it's not just lighting candles. We need to like beha aloteka. We need to literally lift up the light, you know. So if we could all touch and agree on that, you know, that'd be incredible. But you know, what do I know, right? Because sometimes people just don't want to do what people don't want to do. And I've been there, still working my way through some things that Hashem is revealing. But if you don't have light to reveal darkness you don't have light if you don't have light to reveal what's in the darkness you know then how you gonna how you gonna know how you gonna deal you know and ultimately with the return of Mashiach Baruch Abba Shem Adonai may it be speedily and soon in our days um, if we don't start lifting up the light now when he really turns on the light and the Alam Haba begins and the Messianic era and all that wonderfulness and 
you know, when that time comes, there's no punches get pulled on that day, you know? And so there is a level of mercy and compassion and shalom that we're supposed to have as we're bringing the gospel, you know, beautiful feet, right? Not stomping feet or like Chuck Norris feet, but you know, it needs to be swift and it needs to be nice. It needs to be full of grace and, and truth. But at the same time, you know, don't withhold things. Don't keep back the fullness thereof. You know, like if you told a person that they would get in trouble for committing a crime, but you never told them the extent of the trouble that they would get in for the crime, you know, just think, think that out logically. Like if they if they only knew the full extent of what what was the consequences of their actions, I don't know about you, but if if I was told the fullness of the consequences of my actions, that would definitely put a whole lot of sway on my actions. So, you know, because consequences is you know those are the things that need to happen because that's when correction really happens. You know, when there's consequences, you can say all day, "Don't touch the stove, don't touch the stove, it's hot, don't touch the stove, it's hot." But yeah, go ahead and touch the stove when it's hot and consequences will teach don't touch the stove like it's nothing to be played with. But anyway, I always refer back to the stove joke because or uh, analogy, sleek guy, it's not a joke, it's kind of uh, tempered. But, you know, uh, just because it's just so practical, it's just so true. I mean, how much more uh, simple can we get, you know? So anyway, so Hanukkah, and you know Hanukkah, we light a Hanukkah. We don't light a menorah, and you know with these lights that we kindle, Midrashim even bring down that. Sleek up. These lights that we kindle for the menorah are like the light of the first day of creation, namely the first three days of creation, because. Again, uh, let's go back to uh, Rabbi Alana Nava, a.k.a. Blackbeard. He um, brings down that, you know, or he doesn't really bring down. He really just kind of helps us understand how many hours are in a day is actually 12. If you count the time that the sun is rising to the time the sun is setting, that's 12 hours. And then from after it sets to before it starts to rise again, there's another 12 hours, hence 24 hours a day. But it's 24 hours for a day and night put together to be unified. So anyway, um, with all that being said, the 36 hours is what the first light, the primordial light, namely the light of Mashiach, the light of Torah, shined into creation. The light that we get to see when we kindle the menorah. And when we kindle the Hanukkah, when we kindle the Arab Shabbat lights. So anyway, just wanted to kind of bring that out. And this is why we don't get to benefit from the light. You know, like we can see it, but we can't like benefit from it because we would insinuate that. Hashem, thank you for the Alam Habah, but, you know, we'll just take it right here and we'll get off the train and we'll just enjoy right here. You know, and that wouldn't be good because... This is not the Olam Haba. It hasn't started. Mashiach hasn't returned yet. So, so 
So we really want to make sure that we are doing things appropriately and accordingly. So after we talk about that, the enduring light of Aharon's Shevet Levi, I am so excited because, you know, I've made mention probably in the past couple of weeks now that there's this whole thing about the two stages of lighting the menorah. Those of you with the Midrash get you some, please join me on page 114 because I am going to run around where I'm at and celebrate and scream from the rooftops and do like 10 backflips because I got to be spiritual, a minion of backflips because I'm so excited to find this. Thank you, Hashem. So if you go halfway down the page, it says, although Aharon was permitted to tell one of his sons to light the menorah, he fulfilled the mitzvah all his life personally with the greatest precision. That right there is a heavy statement. You know, I think about like things that we only get to do like six days a week, much less seven days a week. Like, namely, rap into feeling. I'm think I'm thinking of acts of avoda, you know, like worshipful things, like donning zitzit and tefillin, and you know, things like that. And to think about the process of kindling the menorah, this isn't like just go take a, a firebrand and just go light it. Like it has to be cleaned. You know, you got to wash the lamps. You got to do the incense because the menorah and the incense go together by the way so it's like prayer and mashiach okay that's the picture and how often did mashiach pray i mean come on man like he literally prayed like all the time and like hid himself away and people were like where were you and he was like i was praying which is kind of weird because it's like wait so you went away to talk to yourself so yeah and it's just like mm-hmm which, by the way, Hashem talking to himself is not anything new. We see it in Bereshit 1 when man was brought forth. And then we also uh, see it in the oral Torah because commentary on Bamit Bar at the end of Parsha Naso, when Hashem spoke from between the cherubim, that uh, it says that the voice would speak with Moshe from there. And it's like, the commentary says, but wait, it uses like with him. So is it from there or with him? And then it's like, is it with Moshe or is it with Hashem? Or like, I don't know. They don't put I don't know in there, but it does. Let me just read it. Just belaboring the point over here, y'all. Like, boy, you are in MSU territory like nobody's business. You better quit doing that. Okay, so I'm going to stop it and literally get some help. And here it is. Bami Bar 789. And it's commenting on with him. Now, Vaidaber Elav is with him. Okay, speaking with him. Commentary from the OG Ankalos. The Babylonian Talmud, Yama 4b, and the Midrash Yalkut question why scripture employed the word elav with him at the end of the verse after using its ito with him because if you back up a little bit uh, dun, 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 right there okay so 
it uses ito earlier, le daber ito veyishma et hakol. Okay? And would speak with him and hear the voice, me daber elav me al hakaporter, from above. Okay? So it already uses with him, but then at the end it uses elav. So it's just like, wait, what? Okay. They deduce. Who deduce? Okay, so Babylonian Talmud and the Yalkut, okay, says that Elav implies that Moshe alone heard Hashem. The Targums and Sifre Zuta ignore this differentiation and the conclusion drawn from it and render both words as Ime with him. Now you're like, so where does that say Hashem talks to himself? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to keep looking at the commentary on this page. Uh, it's actually, if we back up a little bit, uh, they're talking about speaking. So, Ledaber and Medaber. Okay, so, however, me of Medaber could be shortened uh, of mean, which is from. And it says, he heard the voice that was speaking with him, Ibn Ezra. So then we got Ankalos, Sudum Yonatan, Sifre Zuta, treat the third Vaidaber. Okay, so that's the last one that goes with Elav. And it says, as the second or rare word, and not like Vaidaber in 8.1, which is Beha Alotka. Okay, so we see that there. And it says it's not like that one. So this Vita Bear is different from the other Vita Bear. And there you go. Okay. So it says um, there's also a third occurrence of the root Devar. And it's referring to the same event. Okay. Our Targum seems to reflect the view of Ibn Ezra because he adds a Dalit that and reads de mit ma'alel which is that was speaking this interpretation would be consistent with the general approach of avoiding portraying god performing the human-like function here it is of speaking to himself there you go so him speaking to moshe could also be seen as speaking to himself. Yeah, so when Moshe was speaking to the image of Hashem, as we see in this week's Torah portion, you know, there's there's that. Okay, so since this is what I've been wanting to get to, I'm going to go back to the Midrash, get you some, page 114. Thank you. Okay, so um, I don't know why I said that. Thanking myself. I'm just talking to myself. Okay, for example... He always ascended the platform for the kindling, even though he was extremely tall and could have reached the lamp while standing on the ground. And that's also the other, so it's a triple entendre. Beha alotka also means to ascend literally like yourself. So the light needs to ascend and you need to ascend. And it's specifically in the fact of a tall person who lowers himself to ascend. Yeah, yep, 
a tall person who lowers himself to a sin. You know, because you would think, well, obviously, just walk up to the menorah and light it. But it's like, that's not what Hashem said. Even though I could do it this way, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. All right, so I'm swerving from this segment real quick. And uh, we're going to talk about this. There's a way that seems right. Because Toda Rabata Makala, I get to have a Midrash collection on Mishle. So Mishle Drash. Okay, so we're going to go to 1412. Then we shall return back to the steps. 1412. All right, let's do this over here. Need a bigger workspace. All right. That's 1421. You're almost there, Matt. You're so almost there that you went past it. All right, here we go. So when you say there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's in is the ways of death. It says... He commits a sin and says, it's not a transgression. Okay, I'm doing the Mike Tyson stare at this book right now because there's nobody else for me to stare at and be like, you did not just bust out with that. Because, yeah, committing a sin and saying it's not a transgression, you know, like not keeping the Shabbat or like not wearing zit zit or like not eating kosher or like, Anything that Hashem has between Bereshit and Hiskalut, which is Revelation. Anything in there that you're not doing that Hashem said you should be doing. And anything in there that you're doing that Hashem said you should not be doing. That is what we call a sin. And that is what we call a transgression. So there's therein lies all that. So here's the deal. So it says... You commit a sin and you say it's not a transgression. This is a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. Alternatively, a way may seem to be straight, but may be the one that leads to death. Okay? Aharon knew this. And this is why he's like, man, I'm so tall. Like, I'm so pretty. I'm so beautiful. There's literally Midrash says that Aharon was like very, very handsome. So just so y'all know, and he was very, very strong and very, very tall. Okay, so Aaron like got it going on. But even with all that, he didn't just walk up to the menorah, which is interesting because he treated the menorah as if it was like a parochid or a holy of holies or something. Like he took that with like such weight before walking up to it, before making his approach, before drawing near so, I mean, even in that, I'm just thinking of how it's important for how we approach Mashiach and how we approach Hashem, how we approach the Torah, how we approach one another, that we should not approach with this whole, like, oh, yeah, it's all good, you know, and just be all, like, death, you know. That's not nice, you know. It's, this is why Lashon Hara is such a big deal, right? Okay. So then it says, people often delude themselves. So it is important, as stated in the previous verse, to evaluate one's actions. Okay, take into account, which, by the way, when you do the bedtime Shema, 
That's what that is, taking an account. So sitting on your bed and trembling before Hashem and returning to Him by saying the Shema. There you go. When, when you can really look at your day and be like, yeah, you know, I tried and I failed here and I succeeded over there. In the end, if you can go, but you know what, Hashem, compared to you, even my righteousness is as filthy rags. Shema Yisrael. You know, Baruch Hashem on that. Like, may we all do that continuously. Because, I mean, that we're, we're supposed to live every moment of our life in Teshuvah. Because we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when our time on this earth is done. We don't know when Mashiach will return. You know, and so if we remain in Teshuvah, saying Shema, when we retire and when we arise, you know, I mean, that's how you do it. That's what it looks like. And that's like, Hashem, I'm trying. I'm giving it all I got, literally. Like, I've forsaken, like, even things that I've desired that I absolutely love. I give those to you, and I take upon myself your yoke and learn from you. So, that's important. Okay, so it says God presents a person with two paths. Okay, two paths. We all have two paths. One seems smooth and straight, but then becomes full of thorns, pits, and obstacles. The second is initially narrow and covered with thorns. Okay, seriously? The second path starts with thorns. So here we have Mashiach Yeshua on the crucifixion stake with a crown of thorns. And this is the beginning of a path. Okay. 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 I'm trying to pretend like that did not just happen. Okay. So um, either he is attracted to physical pleasures that will lead to sin and Gehenna, or he may choose to amass treasures for hereafter. And that is the all sheik. And this has been Mishle 1412 elucidated as we're talking about looking at the face of the menorah. Uh, you may see the title of this drosh and it's called uh, Men North Face. Like Menorah and North Face. Men North Face. Okay, anyway, I tried. So it is a stretch. But I was branching out and I was hoping that I would be enlightened on it. But I wasn't. Okay, but anyway. Um, so we're talking about that. How do we get into paths of righteousness or paths of sin and pleasure? But I mean, come on, man. Like Mashiach. Oh, here we go. I got screens and books all over the place here. Um, check this out because I was just minding my own business. And you think about how um where was i just reading this from i was reading this from corinthians um he really brought this down here we go told hashem hooking me up so i'll start in first corinthians 1 18 says for the message of the crucifixion stake is foolish okay so i'm tagging and interrupting myself here because here we are talking about the face of the menorah 
and there are branches and it's a tree of life and then we're talking about the crucifixion because the menorah is on it the menorah is on this tree so mashiach being the menorah the face he's on the tree he's on the branch here so you know the tree that brings uh the curse so it's like you're covering up the menorah with sin because you chose to follow out the pleasure and desire so he who knew no sin became sin the menorah is covered okay then you place that on a tree which that tree comes from devouring chapter 21 talking about a wayward and rebellious son that you stone him and hang him on a tree so there's that and so you're putting all that together and here we are in first corinthians as we're talking about parasha beha'alot hamashiach so again we do talk about the brit hadashah here at sar shalom at lapid and even on my podcast here so brutus him so it says that the message of the crucifixion stake is foolishness to those who are perishing you know and i just had this uh zoom out moment where it was just kind of like yeah obviously that is foolish because here i am struggling and suffering in my life and you're like yeah look at this picture of suffering because this is a picture of healing it's like no that's a picture of suffering but then it's like do you have eyes to see do you have ears to hear because you know that this picture hashem uses to heal the same that he uses to wound so if we're going to be wounded by this tree then we're also going to be healed by this tree so there's that but anyway you got to know your perspective you got to know which path you're on you know are you walking in righteousness which starts with thorns or are you gonna you know continue to walk in your pleasures because if you walk in your pleasures this is foolish like why suffer because in order to reign with mashiach you have to suffer first because he suffered so you can't think that you're better than him and walk throughout this life and and not suffer so um, i will get through this one verse okay it says but it's foolishness to those who perish him but to us who are being saved it is the power of hashem okay and again after i mean this hafter reverses all over this week let me go let me go to it because i'm tired of quoting it without sourcing it zachariah um zachariah 4 yep Zechariah 4 6 there we go there we go not by might not by power but by my spirit says Adonai Zevot Amen Zechariah 4 6 Zechariah 4 6 don't forget this Zechariah 4 6 don't forget this Zechariah 4 now I don't know why I've been wanting to rap lately so I've been doing that okay where we at? First Corinthians one eighteen again, talking about the menorah. Oh, we're talking about the crucifixion stake. Oh, okay. So it says, "But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." So this insinuates that the power of God and the might of God is the spirit of God, and where the spirit of Hashem is, there is freedom. Okay. Now, interesting little verse over here, twenty three. Okay, same chapter, same book. Or same letter, sleek out. This is not a book. This is a letter. This is somebody else's mail. So 
Um, you know, that's a big no-no to read people's mail. So let's pretend like we're Corinthians and know what this means. But it's not so far-fetched because we are people who follow Mashiach and we know Zaphonat Paneach and we'll just ask him to uh, decode this for us. Help us to get in the know of what's actually going on and stop just MSU and stuff on top of this verse and on top of these writings of Shaul because Shaul was like go orthodox or go home like that's who he is you know so to think that he's anything else that's not good okay verse 23 and then we got to get back to the midrash okay maybe we can do an about face and just okay but we preach mashiach crucified comma a stumbling block to the yehudim i could see why because you're saying here's your dead mashiach <laughs> who's risen and they're like why do you call him bar <gasps> oh wait that's in the talmud sanhedrin what okay anyway then it says and foolishness to the gentiles why is it foolishness to the gentiles because you know we have people who call themselves christians today and they call themselves gentiles now that's an oxymoron really it really is like i am a christian gentile because the semantics of what a christian is is like a little mashiach okay a little anointed one and so if you're a little anointed one but then you're calling yourself a gentile which is pagan trust me it you know i'm not even going to get into the gentile drop because captain israel already dropped that on his anchor so if you need to see that just go over to him and that's uh rabbi griffin sar shalom on anchor check him out He's talking about Gentile. Okay. So anyway, but if you truly are one who follows Mashiach and you are yoked with him, you are not a Gentile. You cannot, by definition, be one. And so that means that the people that he's talking about, Shaul's talking about here, are those who seek after their own pleasures. Because, again, the crucifixion stake is foolishness to those who are perishing so gentiles are perishing okay like that's it you know but uh as beautifully elucidated in the tehillim get you some for parsha behalotamashiach we learn that all the nations which are the gentiles will one day be cleansed of their impurity so that hopelessness and that perishing will be removed one day when Hashem's name is one and he is one. So, but until then, there's this whole perishing. It's winding down. It's coming to an end. Kind of like our outer man, it's perishing. It's decaying. But our inner man is growing strong. So, you know, kind of make that gap. Okay. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that out that, you know, there is a distinct little perspective here that Shaul brings up that, Talking about Mashiach's death on the tree is like seen by two different groups of people very differently. Like it's a stumbling block because it's just like, how can Mashiach die? 
and then it's also foolishness because it's like I have no knowledge about anything why is this even a, a deal like what's the point of somebody being put on a tree like okay so he died okay so he suffered okay so he's supposed to be the son of God like you see the perspectives there? I mean, it's just like coming from two totally different places, which I didn't see a third perspective. So did he just leave that out or, you know, because I'm kind of thinking if you're not with me, you're against me. Like Mashiach's words, i.e. like if you're not with if you're not in Torah, if you're not in covenant, there we go. If you're not in covenant, then you're like against me because you're not in covenant. So you're like not with me by definition. So, yeah, either Yehudi or Goy. Which one do you choose? Choose carefully. Yehudi, by the way, means to cast praise to Hashem. Like to throw, like Yada, okay? Like Yehudi, to give glory to Hashem. So, that's where the word Jew or Jewish comes from. So, anyone who goes, I don't, I don't know what that Jewish stuff I don't want to be Jewish. You just indicted yourself because that word means to cast praise to Hashem. So you're trying to say, I don't want to cast praise to Hashem. So that means you're in this category over here called Goy and Oi. Okay, fine. I can get back to the Midrash. So extremely tall man we have here. That's our Cohen. Now. It says, because the mitzvah of lighting the menorah is dear in Hashem's eyes, it is mentioned several times in the Torah. Okay, there's a little footnote. This mitzvah occurs in Shemot 27 and in Vayikra 24. Okay, then he goes on to say that in each place, new details are added. I love that. Because that's how we got to understand new Torah. It's the same Torah, but it's a new time. It's like another cycle of it, just like our new moons. We don't call our new moons new because it's like a different moon that just showed up. And we're like, hey, moon, what's, what are you doing here? Where's the old moon? And it's like, hey, new covenant, what are you doing here? Where's the old covenant? You know, or people, I guess, don't care about the old covenant. But anyway, uh, so anyway, it's renewal. It's a cycle. Okay. So um, we're talking about the same scenario and it's like, here's some more details to that, you know? So it's just kind of like how we get to celebrate the festivals. If you remember how I was talking from Benny B talking about um, Sephirat Omer is the um, article, the commentary. And he's talking about how time goes in a circle and it's not linear. And it's like each time you come around to the festival, you want to do it better than you did last time. So, you know, there's more detail added, basically. Okay. Wow. Okay. So now he says, Hashem warned Aharon not to underestimate the greatness of the mitzvah of preparing the menorah. You need to know, by the way, anytime you're preparing to do a mitzvah, like, you know, today I knew I wanted to give a drosh, and so, you know, I did my chores. Like, yeah, shameless plug right now. I vacuumed the floor, I folded my clothes, I prepared my bed, and uh, ate some food and stuff like that, drank water, said brocco that go with all that, and, you know, 
there's all that to do this and it's just like to study Torah you got to do other things and those preparations are called mitzvahs so Hashem takes that into account this is why when we do the offering section in our Siddur there's a part about removing the ashes so just uh, know that believe that trust that and get that okay Hashem. now preparing the menorah don't underestimate it cleaning those lamps here is my point. 45 minutes later. Because of its importance, it was not performed all at once. When cleaning the menorah in the morning, the Kohen cleaned five lamps, five books of Torah, come on, di digressed to a different avoda. Then he cleaned the two remaining lamps, in this way, the act of service was drawn out and attracted the attention of the people who visited the courtyard. Drawn out and is to attract the visitors. Now, let's go ahead and get real spiritual right now. The whole process of redemption is drawn out to attract the converts. We want people to come into this. We want people to see how beautiful this is. So to uh, co-host with all of my fellow Talmudim, and um, you know, there are more coming. All these Avengers, you just gotta hear them. You gotta, man, they're wonderful. And, um, but we're drawing this out. We want y'all to see how beautiful the sources are. We wanna read Talmud because Talmud is always like incriminated. It's like, oh, I don't re don't ever read the Talmud. It's just like, oh, well, if we if we read the Talmud, then we find out that the Mashiach is supposed to die, and then he will be uh, rebuilt like the tent, the fallen sukkah of David. Like he'll be raised up. Yeah, but don't read the Talmud because you don't want to know stuff like that. You know, it's just like, wait, what? What just happened? Just just searching in Talmud about Barnafli. Like, just just do it. I, I dare you. I mean, you would not want to burn this. So, uh, yeah, because people used to say, burn the Talmud, you know, and it's just like, oi. Okay, but anyway, so the redemption process is drawn out. We should be making converts. This is kindling the lamps toward the face, towards the face of the menorah. Now, oh, I got to get to the Kahurumash. Good night. I got less than 15 minutes to do this. I hope I can do it. Okay. So much for short segments. I tried. But it's just too wonderful. Okay. Kehurt Humash. Kindling the lamps towards the face. It says, Moshe only told Aharon to light the lamps such that all the flames shine towards the face of the menorah, i.e. that the wicks point towards its center branch as soon as they were kindled. So it's like as soon as you receive the light, face the branch, face the vine, face the one who is the center of everything, the foundation, okay? As soon as you are lit, as soon as you receive your salvation, you turn and face him, okay? So then it says the wicks point towards the center branch, once they are burning on their own, however, it was apparently not important which way the wicks faced, right? Because you're like, okay, yeah, I got the Torah. I'm walking in it. 
So no matter where you're facing now, because you're lit, because you have the Torah, because you're walking with Hashem, you can walk in any direction now and you're still facing the face. This is why you have to understand the way that the Aron, the Ark, was carried. It was carried face to face. Four people on each corner facing the middle, okay? So the box is in the middle, the the Aron, the Lukot, all in the middle, and everyone on each corner is facing that. So you got people that are seemingly walking backwards, but it's okay because the people that they're looking at as they're facing the middle, they see where they're going, so they're not going to lead them in a wrong path. So now this Aron can move back and forth, left and right, without even turning. No one has to go, stop, wait a minute, let me pivot, you know, move couch upstairs kind of thing. It moves exactly like the throne moved in Yehezekiel chapter 1. So please read that chapter and you can understand how the ark moves. So now you know that you're facing the face, even if you're going in different directions, because you're facing the face. So that's important. Okay, then it says, Yet when Aharon lit the menorah, he raised, like kindled, the lamps towards the face, meaning he ensured the flames continued to face the center, even after they were raised. Again, this guy was all like, yeah, it could be done the other way, but this is the way that I'm going to do it, because this is the way that is the path of righteousness. So, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Aharon was like, no thank you, I'll take life. Okay. Then it says, Aharon's behavior demonstrates an important lesson in our relationship with God. At the beginning of our relationship, the flame's initial ignition is easy to face the center. So, okay, I promise you this is written here. Keep our eyes on God's exact instructions. Swerve over to Hebrews chapter 12. He says, the writer of this wonderful passage, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our emunah. Okay, fixing our eyes on Yeshua. And it says here in the Kehert Humash, this is how you read this. To keep our eyes on God's exact instructions. That's how you keep your eyes on Yeshua. That's what that means. What is his instructions? That's the Torah. That's the center. That's the face of the ark. Or the uh, menorah, Slika, which is the face of the ark. Okay. I guess that was not a Freudian slip. Okay. But once we become more advanced, once the flame is raised and burning steadily, we might imagine that we too are authorities on spirituality and on the proper method of accomplishing God's purposes. Aharon realized that even after he raised the flame, after he reached lofty heights in his divine service, it is important to follow God's exact instructions. It's I'm going to read this into here. It's important to fix our eyes on Yeshua HaMashiach with the simplicity and devotion of a beginner. Lakute Sekot, Volume 2, from the Keher Tumash, on the verses of our parasha that talk about kindling the menorah.
So this is important because you don't leave Mashiach, you know, and people always worry about, you know, if I start following Torah, become Jewish and convert and stuff, like I'm abandoning Messiah. You're doing the opposite, by the way, because Messiah was Jewish. He was like converted and all that. So again, to quote Zakin Yochanan, a.k.a. the human Lapide, he says, the definition of following Mashiach, Yeshua, is to do what he did. So there you go. Think about what Yeshua HaMashiach did and start doing those things. Last but not least, I want to finish up with the seven. Because we got seven branches of the menorah. We got seven books of Torah. So the Torah is the light. Mashiach is the Torah. Seven. Okay. All right. Got it. Okay, the wisdom in the numbers says, hence, seven is the full range of the natural realm. This concept finds further expression in the number 49, which is the square of seven. And we have the number 70, which is 10 times seven. Okay, then it says, traditionally, there are a total of seven natural wisdoms within creation which are alluded to in the seven branches of the menorah. The illumination of this knowledge, like the lights of the menorah, is accessible to all mankind. It marks the fullest expression or intent or extent of the natural realm. Author, perfecter, and finisher of our emunah. That's what our life is. Our life is a devotion to Hashem. So, May we all be lit like Menorot. I'm going to read the footnote about the fullest extent. It says, again, the, the wisdom of Torah as the exclusive rights of Yisrael belongs to a different category. Non-Jews are in possession of wisdom, but have no connection to the Torah. Ekar Rabbah 2.13. So you don't want to just have wisdom. Okay, don't just read it and be like, oh, yes, yeah, so I got wisdom. I'm great. But you want to be connected to the Torah, though, because that's your life and life everlasting. That's your life and life abundantly. That's your new creation. That's your being delivered from despair. Okay, you want to be connected to the Torah. So you want to be in covenant. So, you know, what all that means is the same thing it meant for the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. So, Parsha get you some section Menorth face. Uh, that is it. So we will index for this section and uh, be back after this. So blessings over your Shabbat and may you have a Shavuot Tov and. Um, May you be blessed and truly walk in the light of Mashiach. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam natabetokeinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha Torah. Amen.